Welcome to the Creatio No-Code Playbook Podcast, where we discuss insights, tips, and success stories on how to leverage no-code approach and transform business and deliver applications of any complexity. I'm your host, Jason Miller, head of pre-sales for Creatio here in the Americas. Today, we're going to talk about no-code framework and the things to think about when choosing to use no-code over other software solutions. I'm pleased to introduce today's guest, Burley Kawasaki is the founder of Tachyon Solutions and the co-author of the No Code Playbook. Welcome, Burley. Thanks, Jason. Happy to be here. Burley, I, first of all, I want to say congratulations on early electronic publishing and the hard copy of the book that's coming out now. I, I just, I will tell you, I've read it now twice and I'm still, every time I go back through or I do new references, there's new things I pick up. So first of all, from, from myself and all of the no code creators around the world, thank you for putting together such a, a wonderful book and, and piece for us to reference. Thanks. Yeah, you're, you're, you're very welcome. That uh, it was a labor of love. Uh, I, I can only uh, compare it to having children. <laughs> you, sort of this intense uh, process you go through, and then uh, when you're done, you sort of look back and you have all these fuzzy, fond memories. But it was a lot of work to you know to pull it together, and uh, I, I couldn't have done it without Catherine and the whole creation team. So I'm incredibly proud. No, and and, and I think it. I know it took some time to to obviously put all this together. What was some of the inspiration, or or what? What was some of your thoughts and reasoning behind the decision to write this no-code playbook? It came out of some discussions that I had with Catherine uh, actually about this time last year when we <laughs> we started uh, talking about the fact that, you know, no-code is is going through this evolution. Um, a lot of ways that parallels, if I, if I look at sort of the way Agile transformed uh, sort of maybe traditional professional development, but, you know, in the early days, you know, as people started using and applying some of the Agile concepts from the Agile Manifesto, you know, it was, it was adopted by lots of small teams, you know, SMBs, and they adopted it because they knew it was right for them, but it took a while for the enterprise to really embrace it and to start adapting it to sort of the more complex, uh, sometimes enterprise requirements. And and, and so we, we realized that there needed to be an equivalent uh, sort of set of guidance and, and frameworks available to support no code as it really started to become more broadly deployed by enterprises and for you know a range of use cases and, and so sort of seeing this as sort of a a broad maturation process you know that, that was really why we we said hey there's a void in the market that we can we can help address yeah and and i often when i'm out talking with customers that relationship to how agile transformed application development life cycles it, i i make that parallel correlation all the time because i absolutely agree with you i think that that not only did the the age of cloud computing help accelerate that that need for that difference in in delivery methodology from more of a waterfall or a traditional approach to agile we're seeing that the same thing now with the traditional shift from the the agile and cloud ops or devops more towards this approach of of real time everyday delivery right some you know whether it's extreme delivery or it's or it's just really shortening those cycle times on your sprints we're seeing it because obviously teams can move faster they're they're taking on these low-hanging fruit a lot a lot so they can deliver quickly and and really show value to the business so i I absolutely agree with you on that one 
I think that, you know, I know that as we've talked with Catherine in the past and, and, and some other folks that were involved with the creation of the book, it was not just a, a labor of love and it wasn't just meant to be out there and, and pitch Creatio, right? If, if, if people haven't read it yet, one of the things that they need to understand is this book is technology agnostic. Why did you choose that approach versus zeroing in on, say, one or two or even just saying this is a Creatio book? Why did you go with the technology agnostic approach? Well, uh, for a couple of reasons, Jason. I, I think, first of all, you know, we wanted it to be taken seriously, right? And I think for it to come across and, and be adopted and be, you know, part of a discussion that we, we knew it could and should have, it, it couldn't be just seen as, oh, this is purely just a marketing <laughs> initiative from Creatio. It had to be something more ambitious. It had to have, a, you know, a broader reach. Catherine and I both agreed on that very early on that it needed to be bigger and, and more ambitious. Um, so I would say that's one. Two, when you look at the sort of intended audience for the playbook, right, this isn't intended for developers. It's not intended for IT. It's really meant for the business and either a mix of, you know, sort of stakeholders and, and sort of senior leaders, but also practitioners. And so the more you get into the business, in some ways, the the less relevant, you know, the technology is. I, I mean that only in the sense that, you know, you have to first connect with something that matters to them and sort of their business challenges that, you know, then technology can help them solve that. But if you lead too much with technology, and especially if you lead already with a particular vendor or, you know, a, a set of vendors, I, I think you risk alienating the business. And we want to be very much approachable to the business as our primary audience. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I I have recently finished reading another book on low code, no code, where the author laid out probably 15, 20 different technologies within that book. And you're right. It was very easy to get lost in some of the the technology speak, though. What's this? What's that? Oh, it only does this. It only does that. And I think that your approach that you took with Catherine talking about the business impact and how to empower those subject matter experts that can become those citizen developers or no-code creators, I think that was a great approach. So when you think about the message, the I'll call it top two or three messages that you were really hoping those business users, those no-code creators of the future wanted to get out of the book. What were those top two or three in your mind? I, I think these were, you know, probably laid out uh, in, I think it was chapter two. Early on, we, we wanted to try to instill some principles that, that the rest of the book was really sort of building on top of and around. And, and you know, th- and those ended up being more profound, I think, than I realized. <laughs> As we started really thinking and, and sort of applying them to how we, we structured a lot of the content. Um, so those three principles were, um, first was, you know, doing requirements and design to really embrace the use of no-code tools um, to actually perform the, the design itself. And I think that was a pretty fundamental, but but really sort of a significant shift in the way we thought about them structuring the life cycle because it eliminated sort of a lot of unnecessary, you know, sort of typical design ceremonies and artifacts and a lot of things that you would have seen if you were picking up a, a say an agile <laughs> methods, you know, handbook or, or something that was written for developers, but really embracing using the tools themselves to, to support and create the requirements and design. Secondly, the second principle is all about whatever you can build with no code, you know, build with no code, which may seem obvious, but there's, there's so many choices you have as you're 
putting together a, a more complex enterprise solution. And sometimes you you may uh, get sort of caught up in, oh, all these things are possible and you can do. And, and so the second principle is really, if you sort of simplify it, it's about keeping things simple, right? Uh, fewer number of pieces in building a vision or an architecture generally better because it's easier to maintain. And so really standardizing on, on sort of no code as much as possible gives you, you know, a simpler, more maintainable approach going forward. And then the third principle, which then sort of threads uh, through a lot of the, the methodologies around delivering to value to users as fast as you can. And it's really this whole concept we talk a lot about of everyday delivery and how, you know, don't be constrained by sort of, again, you know, sort of predefined release structures or, oh, I have to wait until the next release or the next sprint. But, but really, when you have value that you can unlock and deliver to users, why not, you know, push it live? And it goes to not just sort of the way that you build and release sort of a more continuous delivery type model, but it also fundamentally is about how you think about even scoping, you know, value into the smallest possible use cases so that, you know, as you complete small small pieces that can add value, release those rather than batching it up into some sort of massive release. So those are the three sort of, I think, principles, you know, really starting with the requirements and design, using the tools, um, build no code, you know, as much as you possibly can, and then delivering value to the users as fast as you can. Those are sort of three principles that really thread throughout the entire play. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. I think that um, not only do you talk about those things, I think one of the things that I found most interesting, obviously, I've been working in the in the no code and CRM space for quite a while. But for those who are, I'll call it uninitiated, um, or folks that have not really tried to start putting their toe into the water of no code and low code, I also think that you and Catherine did a really good job in the in the intro section of the book talking about, you know, what is no code? Where is the foundations and everything lying in? And if you think about that first section, right, the introduction of no code, you've got five chapters in there. I think that the way you laid those things out, right, focused on those business users, not, not the technologists. I think you did a really good job of also setting the foundation for how technology has grown today. Get your thoughts on that really quick, because obviously... Technology over the last 50, 60 years. We heard it from uh, Steve Wozniak when we did the uh, when we did the kickoff event for the book. But technology over the last 60, 70 years is just constantly evolving. But the idea of no code, it's not a new idea, right? It's been around for a while. It's just that the tools have gotten so much better. So why was it now was the right time to help introduce this to folks that maybe are a little uninitiated? And what were some of those things you were thinking about as you were writing that first section of the book? Yeah, and it's a great question. Even, I would say, that question, answering it, was instrumental in even the title of the book, right? Because we intentionally called this the no-code playbook, not the low-code, no-code <laughs> playbook. And, you know, it's, it's pretty common if you, you know, when you read articles, no-code and low-code are, are sort of combined, conflated into a single concept, right? And, and everyone writes it about it as if it were a single thing. And, and I think at some level from purely the, you know, historian level, and you can sort of look at the evolution of technologies, as you pointed out, I mean, rapid application development and other techniques have been around for a while. And so in, in that sense, low code certainly did influence no code and, you know, predated no code. But I think the really, really important difference with, with what we are 
talking about today is no code is is really the first time that this has this approach has been used by non-developers right low code is fundamentally when you unpack it it's it's still used by developers still used by IT perhaps a less sophisticated technology person but they have to have some understanding of coding they have to have some understanding of application development. I, I'm not taking away from the benefits that it has, but it it's it's for a an audience that has already sort of matured over several decades of development practices. And low code is sort of the next step for that. No code entirely different in that it's being adopted, used by people that have never developed before. <laughs> if you just think about your typical enterprise, right, there's a lot more non-developers than there are developers. And so we think based on different studies you read, but it's probably expands the, the pool of people inside your business that can build by a factor of eight or 10. There's this unlocking of sort of democratizing of how you can think about, you know, harnessing innovation and technology that no code is, is really doing for the first time that I would argue is is very different than sort of the more incremental evolutions of technology we've seen in the past. So there's there's two questions that I want to ask as kind of a follow up to that. The first being the need. Obviously, unlocking those non-technical folks, allowing them to become part of a fusion team. And we'll talk about a fusion team in the next episode of a podcast in the in the future. But when we talk about bringing those folks in, obviously, there's a lot of great statistics out there from Gartner and others that says, look, there's just not enough developers, professional developers in the world to be able to meet the changing demand of business. So I think that's probably one of the big reasons why the advancement and the re- and the revolution that's that's underway with no code is is happening. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was happening. You know, I, I would say, you know, sort of at a pace, you know, because of sort of the emergence of of digital sort of wetting the appetites. But then, you know, we we saw that you know when the pandemic hit us, <laughs> you know, three years ago almost, you know, that that profoundly, you know, created the supply and demand imbalance. I mean, everyone talks about, you know, especially during the holidays, how hard it is to get physical items because of supply chain imbalances. That's just as true in sort of developer talent, right? You saw this constriction of people that were entering into universities. You, you saw this reduction in terms of the number of like H1B visas that were, you know, available. And, and so the pool of of technical and developer talent was shrinking, which leads to some of the shortages that, that you've, you've highlighted. And at the same time, everyone's trying to get online, right? Because <laughs> that's how people buy when they're, uh, you're quarantined. And, and so people were investing heavily in online and digital at a, at a pace that, you know, different studies have shown maybe four or five years faster than it would have happened had it not been for the pandemic. And so it's a supply and demand, you know, sort of perfect storm where the supply is constricting, demand is exploding. And you can't just ask developers at IT, oh, work harder, work, you know, twice as hard, five times as hard to keep up. And, and so I think it's sort of creates this ideal condition for something like no code to really be embraced because, again, it unlocks a much larger talent pool inside most businesses. Um, it also helps be much more reactive to change. And if there's anything that's true, it's the adage, the only constant is change, right? I mean, who would have predicted, you know, what we see around us, you know, in terms of having to really be nimble and agile to respond to the market, 
it and to follow your customer and really adapt to their needs. And so I think the ability for no code to support very rapid iteration, as well as the unlocking of the talent pool combined to really create a tremendous appetite for no code. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. And and you mentioned what I was going to kind of get to in the second step, which was how everything was accelerated due to the pandemic. And now it's become the norm. And I think that no code in general it will become the norm. I, I think that there's there's a interesting um, couple of interesting statistics out there, and I recently talked with uh, Phil Simon, author of Low Code No Code, and he he quotes a statistic in his book, which is by 2023, 2024, nearly 80 percent of all applications will be developed either using low code or no code, and that margin of no code in that 80 percent is going to continue to grow. Why? For the reasons we just talked about. So we've got you know about four or five minutes left here. I want to get into one more topic before we wrap up today. And that is when you thought about the methodologies that needed to change when it comes to no code, right? And we're going to talk about this more in a future episode of this podcast. But when you think about the methodologies that needed to change, what were some of the key points that you identified early on as you were writing this book where these things need to be addressed because they are going to be fundamental to the adoption of no code? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the, the first sort of question you have to ask yourself that we did ask ourselves was, why, why do we need to create another methodology? <laughs> right? <laughs> Over the last, you know, decades of software development, there have been a lot of efforts to, to create and improve. And there's a ton of methodologies out there from Agile to DevOps and practices. Uh, but as we looked at them, it was clear that to, to really embrace or adopt these, again, it was it was targeting a, a developer and more technical audience, right? And, and a lot of the ceremonies and, and a lot of the things that would make sense and were highly effective when they could be adopted by a developer and a team of developers in the case of Agile practices or Scrum were not the right uh, or best suited for business teams that, that may not yet have gone through any sort of training, do not have the organization for things like scrum masters or, you know, and you could ask them to try to become technologists and to go through training. But we we ultimately decided it was actually important to sort of step back and sort of reimagine what the life cycle looks like. And so a lot of this is around trying to put ourselves in the shoes of the business, trying to think about pressures therein. And a lot of the frustrations that I think the business has today of waiting on the backlog and having to wait until that next release or the next several releases to get access to some feature they're looking for. And it it sort of led to that concept of everyday delivery that we had touched on earlier, which is get out incremental small units of value every day. Don't be constrained. And so we moved to sort of still adopting agile principles, but but not necessarily the full agile scrum, right? We, we looked at things like Kanban, for example, which I think are, are still very effective techniques, but I think are better suited for the business. And we also looked at ways that you could reduce a lot of the sort of ceremony or the just sheer volumes of documentation that, again, a developer is used to because it, it documents the spec and it's needed if you're going to write code to comply with a spec. But if you think about this more iterative and more you know fluid world that we live in with no code, the best way to validate something with an end user is to show them a working prototype or a working model of, of the actual solution. And so we, we got into this sort of idea, this notion of use the tools and build the design, you know, about that, you know, design and prototype, and then just continue to evolve and and mature it. And that becomes the working 
solution. So that those sort of core concepts, the everyday delivery, really adopting and, and using the no-code tools that really shaped and, and created a methodology that we, we, we think is is uniquely suited for no-code as, as opposed to trying to force fit Scrum or some other <laughs> developer methodologies and retrofit that into the business. Indeed, indeed. Well, Burley, it's been great to talk to you. And, and really what we've covered in this episode was really the first two sections of the no-code playbook, right? We've talked about kind of that introduction to no-code, a little bit of history. We also talked about some of the early design things and some of the, the thinking that we had to address in the no-code playbook. Now, we're going to get back together in a future episode, and we're going to talk in a little bit more detail with folks about some of the, the everyday delivery and how to still maintain governance. And we're going to talk about things like defining the minimal viable product and then attacking those things and delivering value every single day while still keeping um, all of the, I'll call it the technical folks, the IT folks, the governance folks, the InfoSec folks, keeping all of those folks happy. So Burley, I want to thank you for your, um, your time today. And we will be getting back together very soon for another episode of the No Code Playbook. Thanks, everyone. So there's a lot of hype about no-code development, and the benefits are real. And Burley, thank you for taking time to talk to us about that today. And for you that listening or watching on your favorite platform, thank you for joining us on today's podcast. For those of you who are watching us, I hope you will like this video. Please don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel for more. For those of you who are listening to us um, on your favorite platform, I hope you've had a great time. Check out previous episodes on the various platforms of the No Code Playbook podcast. They're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and many more. To get more information about our products and services, visit our website, www.creatio.com. For more insights, check out our No Code events page. We'll talk soon.